All right, so to continue our series called Redefined is our senior pastor, our lead pastor, Michael Hansen. I got two microphones. I know, what's going on? (laughs) Well, good morning, everyone. How are you today? Okay, I feel like we know each other now. Uh, As JT said, we've been in this series called Redefined, and and I'm pretty sure this series is almost going to take us to Advent which is uh, last weekend in November, so it'll, we'll almost get there. But um, in this series, we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. It's the most famous sermon that Jesus gave, and it's found in Matthew, primarily in Matthew, <clears throat> which is the uh, first book of the New Testament, and it's found in chapters 5, 6, and 7. And one of the themes that we see in the Sermon on the Mount is we see Jesus, that's the name redefined, is he's re- Uh, redefining the people's interpretation of the law, all these laws and commands and rules and regulations that he gave. And if you remember a few weeks ago, you would have heard Jesus say things like, now you've heard it said, but I say. Now let me tell you what that, you know, the true heart of the law, the true spirit of the law. And what I'm going to look at today and really what uh, um, Andrew and Heather covered over the last two weeks, we see Jesus taking that same posture of redefining, but he's taking it into another sort of realm. He's, he's going after our outward religious practices, and he's hitting on three, what would have been in the first century, three very uh, public activities by which people would have expressed their faith. So again, Heather, two weeks ago, talked about giving, you know, giving to the needy, almsgiving. Uh, Andrew uh, talked about prayer last weekend, and this weekend, I am talking about fasting, so I hope you enjoyed your breakfast. But uh, it's super, <clears throat> and I've got a bit of a cold, so don't come too, too close. But uh, um, it's really important when we look at these, these practices, these disciplines, really, of giving, uh, prayer, and fasting, it's important that we notice in the passage that, uh, according to Jesus, these activities are the norm. They're the norm, not the exception for followers of Jesus that we would be a people who give, that we would be a people who have a prayer life, that we would be a people who fast from time to time. Uh, In each section, it it says, when you, not if you, when you give, when you pray, not if you give or if you pray. So when we look at the passage today, what we're going to see is Jesus, he really didn't have any issue with uh, the actual practice of fasting. What he had an issue with was the heart, the motive behind these, uh, these outward religious activities. So he gets right to the heart in Matthew 6, 1, he says this. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And again, in this sermon Jesus is giving, who is he speaking to? Us, he's talking to his followers. Okay, that's, okay, that's fine. Uh, he's talking to his followers. He's talking to his disciples. He's talk- if he was here right now giving the sermon, he would be talking to us. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, this sermon is for you. And right off the top in his sermon, remember way back at, at the beginning, the Beatitudes, Jesus basically answered a question, uh, who does God bless? Who does he bless? He, what did he, remember, he went through the Beatitudes. He blesses the meek. He blesses the peacemaker. He blesses you know, the merciful. He goes all through that. And another way of asking that question, who does God bless, would be, what blesses God? Like, how can you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, how can we live our lives in such a way that we actually, as little humans, little men and little women, as we, uh, that we, actually, we can actually bless God, that we can please God? Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, that 
questioned is answered. And uh, in thinking about this sermon that Jesus gives, what we've looked at already and what we're going to look at in the future, it really reminds me of a, of a really excellent book. Uh, it's especially good for married couples, but it's also good uh, for anyone who wants to grow in their ability uh, to learn how to love others well. And I'm sure many of you read this, have read this book. It's called The Five Love Languages. Who's read that book? By Gary Chapman. All right, good. So I'm talking to, preaching to the choir. This is an excellent book. I think we might have a couple copies in the book card. But in this book, Gary Chapman, he basically breaks it down to there are five ways uh, to love, five ways to receive love. And he, he talks about words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, and physical touch. And basically in his book, he says that if you want to love another person well, uh, you need to figure out, you need to discover what their love language is. And I remember when my wife, when Helen and I were first married, I don't know how long this lasted, but on many paydays, I would pick up a bouquet of flowers on the way home uh, from work. And I'd come through the door thinking, I'm the man. You know, thinking like, I've got this husband thing down. I'd bring in these flowers. And, and again, I don't know, I don't remember how long I did that for. Um, but one day I came through the door and my wife, she, Helen is a straight shooter. I came through the door with a bouquet of flowers and she, she said something to the effect like this. She said, uh, you know, uh, flowers don't really do anything for me. If you want to say I love you, do the dishes. And, uh, oh, oh, well, yes, Lord, well, okay, man, I, <laughs> ooh, I think I hit a bit of a nerve there, that's interesting. Well, so here's what men take note, here's what I discovered or started discovering is that my wife's love language primarily is acts of service. And if I want to love her well, and I do, I need to serve her. Well, when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, you know, this is really what Jesus is saying to us. He's saying, you want to love me well? Well, let me show you. This is how you love me. Uh, and what we're going to look at today, Jesus, sort of like what Helen said to me, Jesus is saying to his people, he's saying, you know, you guys, what you're doing really isn't doing, what, like these activities, they really aren't doing anything for me. In fact, they're not really doing anything for you either. You're actually missing the mark. If you really want to, Jesus would say, if you really want to express your love, if you really want to express your faith, your commitment to me, well, then you need to do these things this way. And he, like this, a lot of this sermon, he's hitting this hard, he's, and he's hitting it hard because he knows that these, these Christian activities, we call them Christian disciplines, he knows that if these things aren't done, if these activities aren't done from the right motive and right heart, the things that are actually meant to draw us closer to God could actually uh, move us away from God. So let's pray, <clears throat> and then we'll jump into Matthew 6. So Lord, uh, thank you for today. <clears throat> I pray today that way beyond anything else we do, I pray for everybody in this room that we would have a sense of your presence, because that's what changes us, and that's really what we need. Lord, I pray that you would use this talk to further your work in, in our hearts. So thank you again for your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you've got a Bible, Matthew 6, it'll also be on the screen. But if you really don't have a Bible, we have them at the front and the back, please take one, uh, grab one, take it home with you. <coughs> but here's what Jesus says, uh, Matthew 6, verse 16, it says this. <clears throat> it says, when you fast, when, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face 
so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Okay, that's basically our text for today. And, and I don't think this would be a news flash or any surprise to any of you if I said, hey, did you know that there are certain uh, activities, there are certain disciplines you can do that will improve your physical health? I don't think anyone would go, really? Because you know if you exercise, if you eat well, that you're going to be a healthier human being. Uh, I don't think it'd be a shocker if uh, I told you that there are certain activities and disciplines that you can do that would improve the health of your marriage. And we've, we've already touched on that. I mean, dating each other, taking time to talk each day, learning your love languages, what we just learned, men, start doing the dishes. But when we look at our relationship with God, it's really no different. There are uh, activities, there are disciplines that you and I can do that will um, uh, bring greater health and just depth to our relationship with him. So number one in your notes is the purpose of Christian disciplines. <clears throat> and I want to recommend another book, and this one I know is not on the book cart, but uh, this is an excellent book in learning more and understanding the purpose of, of disciplines, of Christian disciplines. It is written by a guy named Dallas Willard, and it's called The Spirit of the Disciplines. And Doug, don't put that picture up yet, okay? I'll call for it. But, um, but in this book, and, and really anything Dallas Willard writes, uh, you should read. It's excellent. But in this book, he basically takes a, the list of, of Christian disciplines and he breaks them into two categories. There's a category of disciplines of abstinence, of self-denial, or disciplines of, of engagement, which would be disciplines of action. So why don't we throw that list, this picture up, Doug? So here we go. So let me go through this list. So on one side, we've got disciplines of abstinence or self-denial, and you find solitude, silence, fasting, frugality, chastity, secrecy, sacrifice, and watching. On the other side, you've got disciplines of engagement, action. These are study, worship, celebration, service, prayer, fellowship, confession, and submission. Now, knowing some of you, just by showing you this list, your mind is spinning now going, well, what do those mean? You're gonna, we're not going to go too deep in it. Well, we're not going to go very deep at all into this. You're going to have to uh, go buy that book, and I guarantee, really what, what what Willard is saying in looking at this list is he's saying you start doing any of these, right? You start doing any of these and they are going to improve and, and bring depth to your relationship with God. The purpose of all these disciplines here, the purpose is to bring us closer to God. And in the text that we read, Jesus is focusing in on fasting, which again is the discipline of abstinence. Fasting is, is really, it's about self-denial, and typically when you talk about fasting, you talk about uh, taking a period of time where you deny yourself of food. And now there are lots of different ways you can fast. You can fast social media. You can fast entertainment. You can fast books, magazines. You can, uh, you can fast from bragging. You can fast from being critical. Imagine that. But typically when we talk about fasting, we're talking about not eating. And when I saw that I was getting this passage, I chuckled to myself. I thought there's a little bit of irony because when it comes to fasting, I am the worst. I have, I, you know, I, I bet I can beat you in, in not being good at fasting. First of all, I don't think it should be called fasting. I think it should be called slowing because if you've ever decided not to eat for a day, it's like, 
it's got to be nighttime. You know, it's like it's only been 10 minutes and it just takes forever. And secondly, the joke for many years in our house, the joke between Helen and I was <clears throat> when I would say, hey, honey, I'm going to fast today. She would not skip a beat. She'd go, okay, what do you want for dinner? And <laughs> it's like, hey, thanks for the confidence boost. But, and you know what? And if they allowed gambling in heaven, I know when word got out that Michael was going to try to fast, that the angels would be saying, okay, how long is he going to last? Like, let's get in touch with Vegas. What's the over-under on that? So if, if fasting is like, feels like it's just out of your league or overwhelming, know that you're in good company. But it's super important to know that fasting is, is God's idea. It's not our idea. First time we see fasting in the Bible, uh, in the Old Testament, it's for our, you know, if you want to study up a bit more on this, it's found in Leviticus 16. Leviticus 16, where, where God calls the people of Israel, all the adult Israelites, he said, hey, we're coming up on the Day of Atonement, is where they, basically, where they, there's lots, you know, serious sacrifice and for forgiveness of sins, etc. And he's saying, I want, I want you to have an annual fast on this day, right, you know, coming up to the Day of Atonement. And, and literally, the, what they would do on that day, and I thought this was super interesting, they would, they would fast from dawn to sunset, and I thought this was cool. How did they know when it was time to start? How, like, when was it really dawn? Like, when, it was when you could tell the difference between a white and a black thread. Now it's time to it's time to start fasting. So that would mean they would have no food, no drink, no bathing, <clears throat> and even no Xbox. And I say that both to be funny, but it was interesting to me that within the Jewish culture, while the, the fast was primarily for the adults, they would train their children. They would, they would train their children to do some level of fasting to get them ready for when they became adults and they took on the full fast. In the Bible, we see fasting to express a time of mourning, uh, when, when a loved one has died, to express repentance both on an individual basis or a natural, national level, uh, we see Jesus. We see Jesus fasting for 40 days in the wilderness, and it, it looks like a fast of preparation, because right after this long fast, he embarks on his earthly mission. In the book of Acts, there are examples where the early Christians, when they'd gather together, they would sometimes fast to seek God's guidance. Like, what are you saying, God? They would fast sometimes uh, seeking blessing on new leaders. And all through the Bible, <clears throat> we see this, this Christian practice, this discipline of fasting. And the whole purpose of it is we're saying no to food. We're saying no to this in order to turn now and say yes to God. And one of the things we always need to keep in our minds when it comes to any Christian disciplines is that they are all, uh, all these activities are all about relationship. It's all about relationship with God. It has nothing to do with earning anything from God. It has nothing to do with manipulating. Oh, come on, God, you know, you're gonna pull. Like, there's, there's no manipulating in the disciplines. It's all about uh, uh, putting aside distractions so that you can draw close to God. It's actually, if you really think it through, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing for us to do, to say no, to just fully say yes to him. So when you look at fasting, although it's challenging and hard, uh, it's really a very good thing. So why is Jesus upset with his people? Well, he's not upset about fasting. <clears throat> what he's upset about is he's upset about how they're fasting and why they're fasting. So he says this in verse 16. <clears throat> when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. 
And so Jesus, you know, I don't know if Jesus, I mean, I'm sure, I think he would have been polite or pretty polite, but I don't know if when he said this statement, hey, when you fast, don't fast like the hypocrites do. I don't know if he was pointing, but I wonder. Because who's he talking about? Right, he's obviously talking about somebody. Don't fast the way these hypocrites do. He's talking about the religious leaders. He was talking about the Pharisees. It's no wonder that they, did, they didn't get along. Uh, right off the top, Jesus really called them. But what we see is the, the very people who had a position within the people of Israel <clears throat> to be their teachers, the very people whose role it was to be examples of what, you know, of, of all things God, were literally taking these, these religious practices, and when it came to fasting, they had literally turned fasting into a show. And uh, first century, the typical first century practice for religious leaders would have been that they would, they would fast uh, two days a week. They would fast on Monday, and they'd fast on Thursday. And something I learned this week in studying, in a couple of the commentaries I read, it said, you know, in the first century, um, typically on Monday and Thursday, that would have been market day. Now, isn't that interesting? What that means is on Monday and Thursday in you know, the town square, whether it's like small town Israel or you know, big city Jerusalem, that the town square market day would have been crammed with people because everyone's coming in, you know, Costco, is, or you know what I mean? They're coming in to, to do all their, all their shopping. And so the, these Pharisees, these religious leaders on Monday and Thursday, they would literally perform their fasting for all these people. And it was a public you know, uh, practice that they would do. So they'd go out into public, their hair would be all messed up, which would be very fashionable today, but their hair would be all messy, their clothes would be dirty, they would wear wrinkled clothes, some of them would rub, you know, put ashes on their face. Again, this is Middle East, they'd have a darker complexion, so some of them would actually whiten their faces to look pale, it's like, oh, you know, it's been an hour, it's been an hour since I've had any food, and they just would be so somber and so, you know, quote unquote, spiritual, and Jesus was right on the mark in calling them hypocrites because they were totally missing the purpose of these disciplines. So number two in your notes, <clears throat> number two is seeking the wrong reward. So these uh, hypocrites, hypocr let me give you a definition for hypocrite. Here's the Greek word uh, hypocrites, and it means stage actor, pretender, dissembler, which means to give a false or misleading appearance. That's a hypocrite. So a hypocrite is someone who presents themselves to others in a way that is not accurate, and typically presenting themselves as better than they really are. So in many ways, the religious leaders were acting like uh, spiritual show-offs, right? Spiritual show-offs. They were presenting themselves as these you know, deeply spiritual people, but it was not accurate at all. And Jesus, in this sermon, Jesus is calling them on it, and he's basically, he's calling them on their hypocrisy, and he's saying to them, he's pointing out their true motives, and we'll go back to the text. He's, he's basically saying, you know, for they or for you guys disfigure your faces, why do you do it? You do it to show others that you're fasting. I tell you, you guys, that is the only reward you're going to get. And what did he mean by that? Well, what's the reward? What's the reward that they're receiving? Think about it. It's, it's a false sense of being spiritual, right? They fooled themselves. It's a false sense of being close to God. And really, if there's, any, if there's any admiration from the people, it would have been from just a few people. Because don't, aren't we pretty good at spotting a fake, right? You can just, you can smell it. 
Uh, but these guys were fakes. They were totally actors, merely playing a part. They were hypocrites. And you don't have to be around the church too long to know that uh, if, if you took a microphone out on the street, and you know what I'm going to say right now, if you took a microphone out on the street and you asked people, hey, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of Christians? What would they say? They are hypocrites. They would say that we are hypocrites. Listen to this quote, and this is a quote that's referring to the Pharisees, and then it, it, then it uh, turns on us. It says this, these religious types, the Pharisees, were the ones that Jesus seems to have the most trouble with. <clears throat> ones who will walk into a restaurant and bow their heads to pray before a meal just in case someone is watching. <clears throat> ones who won't go to R-rated movies at the theater but have a number of them saved on their DVR at home. Ones who may feed the hungry and help the needy and then they make sure they work it into every conversation for the next two weeks. Ones who make sure people see them put in their offering at church but they haven't considered reaching out to their neighbor who lost a job and can't pay the bills ones who like seeing other people fail because in their minds it makes them look better ones whose primary concern in raising their children is what other people think ones who are reading or hearing this and assuming I'm describing someone else ones who have worn the mask for so long that they have fooled even themselves now, I don't know about you, but as I read through that, there's a little bit of a, ooh, there's a little bit of an ouch goes off in me. Uh, uh, so why do we as Christians of all people, <coughs> why do we have a tendency to be hypocrites? Why do we have a tendency to put on masks to, to perform our Christianity? Well, you know, uh, as a pastor, I would say on a daily basis, I am tempted to perform my Christianity. I mean, like think about, I, I was thinking, I've been in ministry over 30 years and a big chunk of that 30 years has been on one of these, a stage. And it's so tempting as a pastor to perform my Christianity. And what I mean is to, you know, to act certain ways, to say the right thing, to when I know people are looking, that I would, you know, have the right look on my face, and, or whatever it is. And I realize, man, that's a temptation I deal with constantly. But enough about me. What about you? Where do you perform? Where in your life do you put on a mask? Where do you present yourself in such a way that will impress those around you? I mean, is it at church? I think this is the, one of the number one places we do that. Like, the person we encounter here at church, is that the same person you are when you leave here? There's a good question. Is that the same, or is, you know, are you the same person when you get in your car with your family? Are you the same person when you get out on 71? and start, you know, driving home? Are you the same person? I mean, there's, we got some young folks in the room. Are you the same person when you go to school? Are you the same person that we see here today when you go to school or when you're at work or when you're together with all the soccer parents or when you're on social media? Are you the same person we see today? Like, why, like where do you perform? Where do you put on a mask? And so a good question would be, why do we feel like we even need to do that? Like even when we know at some level, and I think sometimes we fool ourselves, but even when we know at some level that it is not accurate to who we really are. And as I was preparing this week, I felt like God, I just had this flash from when I was in like middle school, high school. And, 
And it was, it was a humbling picture. And I realized, I sat at my desk and I thought, you know, when I was in middle school and high school, I was a total show off. And it's like I would, I put a lot of energy into, you know, announcing my accomplishments. And I was thinking about that and I was thinking, like, why did I do that? Why was, you know, why did I spend so much time and energy promoting me or, you know, putting on this performance? And, and I realized a good chunk of it was uh, pride. <laughs> it was just good old arrogance. But then as I thought about it more, I realized, but a lot of it was fear. It came out of a place of fear. It came out of a place that there was a sense that something was missing in me. And so I had to you know, I had to cover it up. I had to somehow fill that missing part up. Or more accurately, there was a realization that I am not enough. There was a realization that I have faults. And I don't want anyone to know that I have faults. There was a realization that, like, like I actually am really weak. Right? And I, and I do everything because there's no way I was going to let people in to know that. I had a real sense. And to be totally honest, it was there was a deep sense that I was a fraud. And I thought, I can't let anyone else know that. And so I would perform, right? I would perform to cover up those flaws. Where does that come from? Because I know I'm not alone in that. Where does that come from? Well, I'll tell you where it comes from. Way back in the beginning, right? And I mean way back in the beginning, all the way back to Genesis when God creates the heavens and the earth, and he creates this beautiful planet earth and all the animals and, you know, all. and then his, his greatest creation, he creates Adam and Eve. And here's this beautiful picture in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve and God, and just this just perfect harmony, right? And, and, and here's, here's, a, here's a verse to describe it. Genesis 2.25 says this. It says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now think about that. I... I think that is an amazing verse because, well, I mean, and don't go too far. Last night, this got a little bit out of control, but, but, but <laughs> I'm thinking I could say this or I could say that or I could, we would end. but what I mean by that is uh, totally naked. Just imagine that, Adam and Eve, nothing to hide, no need to impress, no need to perform, just who you are is who you are, and they felt no shame. I mean, what a beautiful picture. But what happens in the story, what happens when, what's the first thing that Adam and Eve do after they disobey God? Genesis 3, 7 says this, then the eyes of both of them whoop, were opened, and they realized, oh, we're naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And ever since that day, as human beings, we have been covering ourselves up. Ever since that day, we have been performing. We have been prone to hypocrisy, covering our shame, covering our flaws, co you know, covering up the things we don't want anyone else to see. And I, I, you know, I was wondering, I, I thought, what, would the story have been different like, what would have happened if Adam and Eve, after they disobeyed God, and their eyes were open, and they looked, ooh, and they realized that, you know, the big wave of shame crashed on them. We're naked, and they, and they realized that everything was all messed up now. What would, wouldn't the story be so different if they, instead of covering up, if they ran back to God and said, we disobeyed you. Oh, no, you know, we, like, please forgive us, help us. What do we do now, right? Wouldn't, it have been, wouldn't the story have been totally different 
If instead of choosing to cover, they ran back to God. But you know the story, they didn't run back to God. When they saw their failure, when they felt their shame, they ran away from him. And really, ever since that day, that's, that's where the struggle started. That's where, and really, that's what gets us into trouble is, again, you know, in Eden, we were made to be in this place of perfect relationship with God where he's meeting all of our needs, and we're totally content. But, when, but in sinning, when we chose our way over his way, that sin became a barrier between us and God. And now, suddenly, we're, you know, we're, we're, instead of running to God, we run away from God. But here's the problem and where we get into trouble as humans. Those needs still exist. We, we need to fill those needs. And so, you know, a phrase we use a lot in the, in the vineyard is, so we run now to empty wells. Meaning, what we were made for, we were made to be in the Garden of Eden, in this perfect place where we are drawing life from the one true well, which is God, our maker. But now, because of our sin, now that we've decided to go on our own, we are now out pursuing other wells to feed our needs. And is it any wonder you know, that we are so addicted as human beings? And one of those empty wells where we try to find identity and worth and love and acceptance, it's in the praises of people. It's in the boop, likes, and the thumbs up from people. And, and so every day, and think about this, this is so true, every day at home, at school, at work, we live our lives like actors and actresses on a stage, performing, looking for, hoping for, longing for the praises of people. And, and it is so incredibly exhausting, isn't it? And when I think of us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, it doesn't surprise me at all that we are the most prone to hypocrisy. Because think about it. I think, I think when, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, just think of, if you think back to the talks that we've been going through, really in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is coming, he's speaking to his followers, and he's saying, hey, followers, uh, here's how I want you to look, and, here, you know, and here's how I want you to act. Here's how I want you to treat other people. And listen to this list. Here's, here's our job description, if, if you will, as his followers. Followers of Jesus are meek, generous, kind, peacemakers, merciful. We're salt. We're light to the world. Followers of Jesus, we control our mouths. We control our thoughts. We love our enemies. We give to the needy. We pray. We fast. And then this really drives it home. Followers of Jesus are perfect, just like God is perfect. Like, is that you? Does that describe you? No. Certainly, it does not describe me at all. And here's, what, here's why I think we are so prone to hypocrisy is we, we look at who we are and then we look, and I'm not, even, I'm not tall enough, we look at the, what Jesus calls us to be and we look at that huge gap and we go, uh-oh, uh-oh, I need to cover that up. I need to start performing. And so we become hypocrites. And this is where Jesus is like, Jesus is like, wait a minute, this is what he's come to rescue us from. You know, at that, and basically the, the heart of Jesus, what the, rescuing us from hypocrisy is he's like, okay, son, daughter, when you see where you are and when you see what I've called you to, don't cover up. Don't, you know, don't try to perform. He said, really, that is the place where the gospel truly comes alive. That is the place where the good news really, you know, really shows its power. If, uh, Ephesians 2, 7 says this, and this is from the message, so it's, you know, a little different language. It says, now, now God, when you, when you see the gap, 
right? This is where you're at. This is where God calls us to be. When you see the gap, now God has us, has you exactly where he wants us. With all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift. It's God's grace from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, because of our brokenness, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. I know I would. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. That's all about grace, the gift of grace. I think there are many of you here today that you've forgotten about grace. See, you've forgotten that when you came to Jesus, when you first came to Jesus and you were a mess, and you're like, oh, gee, you know, if it's really true that you are who you say you are, then I'm, you know, I'm coming to you, Jesus. And he looks at you in your mess, and prodigal son, think of that story, and he runs to you and he embraces you, and he says, I totally accept you just the way you are. I want you just the way you are. Here's what happens. As you start walking with Jesus, and many of you have been walking with Jesus for years and years, uh, you will grow as you walk with Jesus, right? If you remember the disciplines, you will grow as you pursue a relationship with him. But here's something that we forget, is that this side of heaven, there will always be a gap. There will always be a gap. And so here's what the enemy does. Here's how he lies to us. He says, you know, you're going along in life, and he starts to whisper, hey, shouldn't you be like here by now? Like, shouldn't you, you know what I mean? You're, like, he's like, or shouldn't you like, shouldn't you be here by now? And, and again, here's, here's where I think some of us have forgotten grace because we look at it and you've been walking with Jesus for years, but you fall for it. And you, and you see that what the enemy's pointing out, you see the gap and you go, oh boy, I better cover that up. See, and you've forgotten the grace that got you in is the grace that's gonna carry you all the way through this life. See, because you and I, we are not any of the blessings of God this side of heaven and for sure in the next, we're not receiving any of those because of our performance, right? We're receiving those because of his performance, because he got it right. We're getting in because of him, and our job in this whole thing is to believe that this, this gift of grace that he offers to everybody, that all we have to do is to receive it. And so I think some of us, some of us have forgotten that. And, and so Jesus has come to, to set us free from the stage. Jesus has come to set us free from play acting. So how does he do that? Well, here's one of the ways. Number three, we'll end with this, <coughs> is the gift of secrecy. <clears throat> so the way out of hypocrisy is to get off the stage. It's to remove the applause. It's to take off the makeup. And it's to get alone with Jesus. Verse 17 says this. Jesus says, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. See, there's something so powerful about secrecy. And Jesus really, he, you know, in this sermon, in this part, he's hitting it really hard. And he's hitting it hard because he knows from our place of brokenness and our place of neediness, he knows how dangerous it is that you and I could literally miss out on the true reward, which is him, and that we, we're in danger of settling for, this, you know, for the little reward we get as play actors, right? For that false sense of, of 
you know, spirituality, a false sense of being somehow connected with God. Maybe some admiration from people. He is so concerned. He does not want you and I to spend our lives performing. He wants to teach us, and secrecy is one of the ways he does it, to bring us into a place of, of honesty, where it's just the two of us. And I think for some here today, and this may be a bit of a harsh thing to say, but for some, you've been a Christian for many years, and if you're honest, you'd say, you know what? I don't think I've really changed or grown at all. And could it be, could it be, that maybe you've embraced a role in the church play more than you've embraced Jesus? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I hear that voice. It's beautiful. Like, could it be? Right? And you might think, well, that's not a very nice thing to say. But let me ask you this question. <clears throat> Like, how do you know if you've, if you've more embraced, embraced a role in the church play more than Jesus? Is there any part of your faith, is there any part of your expression of your Christianity that is done in secret, just between you and Jesus? Like, or is the only time you act like a Christian, is it the only time when others are around? Like, do you have a secret place with Jesus? See, Heather said this a couple weeks ago. It's learning to live our lives for the audience of one. See, and there's something so powerful about secrecy. Secrecy, you know, it, 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 it removes the stage. Secrecy removes the applause. It removes, you know, the bright lights, etc. And it brings you and I to this place where it's just you and it's just God. It's that secret place. And it's the place where he wants to meet us. Uh, listen to this quote from St. Augustine. St. Augustine said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. See, we were made. We were made as human beings. We were made to be in this place of just him and you. Him, you know, just, uh, just the two of us in this secret place and you know, in, in just the way he talks about, you know, the, uh, doing things in secrecy, Jesus is telling us two things. Again, there's, there's a heavy, there's a real uh, urgency to what he's saying. One of them is this. He's saying to us, be careful, because the truth is you can fool others, right? We can totally do that. But then he also says, but remember, we can't fool him, because he sees, he sees it all. And, and, you know, I know in talking about hypocrisy, and you know, I know that this may come across, may, I don't know if it does, may, like maybe heavy-handed, but what I have a sense in my heart, there's an urgency in God's heart, like a loving father to his kids. And you know, I was thinking about this last night. If my sons, Helen and I have two sons, if my sons felt like they had to cover up to please me, if, if my, sons, my sons felt like, <clears throat> felt like they had to perform in order for me to see them and love them. Like, that would totally break my heart. Because, see, I love this. I'm a sinner. I'm a broken man. And yet my heart towards my children is, oh, you don't have to perform for me. Just come to me. I accept you. I want you just the way you are. I don't reject you. And if I can have that kind of love in my heart as a sinful man, how much more is the love of God right now towards you? And so when I say to you, brother, sister, it's time to take your mask off. 
It's time to stop performing. That is, really, that's one of the most loving things for me to say because you are missing out what you were made for. You're missing out on a relationship with God that you're just, you're not gonna find it as long as you wear your mask. And, and, and you know, next week, JT is gonna continue <clears throat> and he's gonna get into chat more in chapter six. <clears throat> and he's gonna be talking about a wonderful part where he talks about, where Jesus talks about storing up, storing up treasures in heaven instead of storing up treasures here on earth. And really this passage tells us that in this life, you know, how many, however many years we have on this planet, there's two bank accounts. This is a simple picture, but I think it's helpful. There's two bank accounts that we can invest in. One is an earthly account, which is temporal, and one is a heavenly account, which is eternal. And hear me, I'm not saying it's not wise to save, it's not wise to invest or, you know, in retirement and want to have an inheritance for your kids, but what I am saying is this. I remember my dad used to always say, son, I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. And so what he's saying is, like in this life, you know, maybe some of us will be rich as far as the world would say rich, but here's something I can say to you. We can all be incredibly rich in God's eyes when we embrace this whole thing of secrecy, when we, when we live out our Christian faith, when we give, you know, and, and when we pray, and when you have a prayer life that, that nobody else knows about, when you, when you fast and nobody else knows about, when you do things, when you live out your faith in ways that nobody else knows, when you clean up your neighbor's garbage cans and nobody knows, when you, you're walking down the aisle in the store and you restock that item, when, uh, when you know, you're putting those copies that so-and-so left yet again in the copier and you're putting them in, in their inbox, uh, or when you know, you're choosing not to brag, choosing not to one-up someone else's story when you know you could, uh, when you're being patient with another person who is blaming you for something when you know it was their fault, when you're choosing to love on someone who is not loving towards you, here's the thing, nobody else knows it. But you know what, this is where you can, you can be incredibly rich. Jesus goes, but I see it. I see those secret things. And every time you do that, you are, boom, you're making a deposit in your heavenly account. And you're gonna get to heaven one day and you're gonna be like, what? My balance is what? And, and here's the thing, and, and, and that will be a great reward, but this side of heaven, we get the incredible reward of embracing the secret, really, of, of the secret things, really, it's, it's the reward of discovering one of God's love languages, that he loves when we do things as his kids just for him, just for him to see, right? Does that make sense? Like, he loves when we do things like that, when, when we're doing them, and, there's, and it's like this, uh, it's, it's just that knowing that your father's looking at you, and there's this, there's this, father-child interaction where he's going, I saw that, I love that, you know, keep doing that. That's the reward we get this side of heaven of knowing that I can actually bless God by doing things in the secret. Let's, let's stand up. <clears throat> let's just quiet ourselves and if it helps to close your eyes and, <clears throat> you know, I like to open my hands. It's just, it's just my way. It's a posture of, of being receptive. So, God, we thank you for your presence. 
And I thank you, and I pray that you would grow us in this area. I thank you for all the ways over the last 35 minutes, whatever it's been, I thank you for all the ways that you have been dropping pictures into people's minds. You've been nudging people. You've been whispering things. You've been sort of tapping people on the heart saying that right there, that's for you. Lord, I pray as a church that you would stir up our expectation that when we gather together, that when we, when we, in times like this, when we come into your presence, stir up our expectation that you are an incredibly close and active God. So I just bless right now all the ways you're coming close. Just come, Lord. And I just see some of you, it's like, it's almost like there's these sunbeams shining down on you. And right now God is saying, it's true. I love you. I accept you just the way you are right now. I just encourage you, if, if that's, you're sensing that, just really lean into that. Just, you know, and you might just want to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I pray right now, if there's, you know, if there's anyone here today that you, you, you might say, I don't even know if I am a Christian. Well, I would encourage you that today can be the day where you start a relationship with God where you receive this truth that he accepts you just the way you are. So I just really bless that. Just come, Lord. Tune us into you. Just come and father us. Set us free to be a people who, who live out our lives for, for the audience of one. Set us free from performing, Lord. So, <coughs> excuse me, here's what we're going to do. We always end off with a time we call ministry time where we invite you forward and, and uh, you know, to get prayer. And so I've got a few thoughts. One would be... <coughs> I just had a sense that for some of you, even seeing those lists of disciplines, it may have been, I don't know, may have been convicting or maybe you even felt a little bit of guilt. Um, but I just had a sense that there are people here today that you, uh, you want to grow in your disciplines. You want to grow in practicing these secret things. And so we would love, <clears throat> we'd love to pray for you. So in a sec, we'll invite you forward. But I also want to, and I know this is, a, this is not an easy one, but I want to invite people forward who you would say, yeah, I do have a tendency to perform. Yeah, I'm, I'm one person here, but I'm another person there. And I would encourage you to come on up and get prayer. And I know that's not an easy one. But, you know, I said this last night. Come on. Let's, could we not have a culture where we're honest? Like the truth is right now, everybody in this room, if we had little meters, like how much we need right now, they would all be broken. They just, they just explode. There's so much loneliness in this room. There's so much fear and anxiety. See, and so the, the ministry time isn't, so if you're messed up, you know, or you're like, well, well actually, <laughs> actually it is. But, but it's like, let's be real with each other. Let's have a culture where we're honest. So I just want to encourage you. Uh, if you're aware that oh, I'm so prone to that, come on up. 
because God wants to free you from that. Right? Because you know what's going to make you attractive to those people at work? What's going to make the gospel bright? You faking your Christianity or the light of Jesus shining through you? Through an honest human being who goes, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't have all this. I don't get all this. But I know he loves me. And I know he accepts me. So that's another group we'll invite. And then, you know, uh, we love to pray for the sick because we know God loves us. God is powerful. God loves to meet us in hard places. So if you're here today with any pain, whether it's physical or emotional, any struggles, uh, I just want to invite you forward for prayer. So Olivia is going to lead us in a song. Uh, Come on forward. (laughs) Guys, pray for guys. Gals for gals. And then I'll end off the service. Come on up.